This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Most of us here this morning have probably heard about uh, a movie, if we haven't seen the movie, Castaway. How many of you have seen the movie Castaway? How many of you, is anybody, well, has anybody never heard of the movie Castaway? Never heard of it? Is he missing out? Is he missing out? Um, so Tom Hanks plays a character named Chuck Noland, and he gets stranded on this island. And, and it's a vivid picture. This movie is a vivid picture of, of the tragic nature of isolation. Because here Tom Hanks is stranded on this island with no other people. And, and isolation is so bad that he has to name the volleyball. <laughs> it was a Wilson volleyball. And he named it Wilson, right? Can you catch this? Yeah, give it up, right? First guy in. You got your coffee in your hand. Can you catch it? All right, all right, there you go. So he names it Wilson, and he talks to it. (laughs) He talks to the volleyball like it's his friend because he's isolated on an island. And, And human beings are not meant to be isolated. Just, just, kidding. just, kidding. just kidding. Everybody awake? Everybody awake? It, it's, it's really interesting when you, when you just do like a simple Google search by something that says um, like the problem of isolation in today's culture. And you just begin to read the titles of the articles that come up on the first two pages. Here, here's a sampling. Why self-love is making us lonely. Technology, technology use, loneliness, and isolation. The politics of loneliness. Prevent loneliness and social isolation with these five strategies. That article was from the Rolling Stones. The struggles of isolation in modern America. The loneliness epidemic, understanding and addressing loneliness. How loneliness breeds resentment and threatens America's democracy. How social isolation is killing us. That was in the New York Times. Why Americans are lonely and what we can do about it. Forbes. Uh, America's loneliness epidemic and how the U.S. Surgeon General aims to fight it. Do you find it interesting this morning that everybody from the Rolling Stones to the U.S. Surgeon General is trying to solve and offer solutions to isolation? Well, when we open up the sacred scriptures, we see it's it's not just a, a problem that these you know, news outlets in our culture today is trying to solve, but the sacred scriptures 
from of old say this in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. If, you, if you've got your Bible and you're at Proverbs chapter 18, would you just lift it up? Let me know you're with me. Right on. Look at this single verse with me. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I'm, I'm titling the sermon this morning, Why Wilson Isn't Enough. Whoever isolates himself, the Proverbs say, seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Proverbs. A proverb is, is a, it's a statement that's generally true. Now, we believe the Bible is absolutely true, but it's important for us to understand the literary genres that the Bible is written in. So you have all kinds of different literary genres that the Bible's written in. You have letters, you have apocalyptic literature, you have poetry, and this morning we're looking at a book called Proverbs. And the nature of Proverbs is that they're generally true. What does that mean? Well, perhaps you've heard the proverb, raise up a child in the way he should go and he shall not depart from it. How many of you heard that proverb? But how many of you know somebody that raised their child in church and their child has departed from that way? In, in other words, it's a general principle that's generally true. Proverbs are not absolutes. The nature of what a proverb is, is that it's generally true. An absolute means that something is uh, true for all people, in all times, in all places. So we believe that the sacred scriptures are absolutely true, but we have to understand the different genres that we're interacting with in the sacred scriptures. So here's the way I describe the book of Proverbs. They're absolutely true, generally true principles. In other words, what you're going to find in the book of Proverbs are truths that are generally, generally true, in, can be applied to life, and they're generally true, absolutely, for all people, in all places, at all times. Now, if you don't understand, I've given, some, I've given you something to think about and chew on this afternoon. But, but it's important that we understand the nature of Proverbs. And so what the Proverbs is saying is this. This, this proverb is absolutely true for all people, in all places, at all times. And it's generally true that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And he breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, um, when... <laughs> When, when, you, um, when you tested positive for, the, for the, the COVID virus, many of you quarantined yourself. And we would say perhaps you were doing that not because you were seeking your own desire, but the desire, the desire of those around you. In other words, like you quarantined yourself so that you didn't get your family sick in that way. So, so it's, it's generally true that when you isolate yourself, you're seeking your own desire, Right? It's not absolutely true. In other words, you quarantine yourself when you get sick so that others don't get sick. You're thinking about others, not yourself. Do you understand the, the difference? Do you understand the nature of a proverb? It's important because we, we want to rightly apply the sacred scriptures uh, to our lives. 
It's interesting, let's look at this proverb together because what we see in Proverbs 18 verse 1 is we see the motivation of isolation and the result of isolation. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. So what does that mean? Well, that means when you pull away from people, you're seeking your own desire. When you, when you pull away from people, when you separate yourself from people, you, you're seeking your own. Your motivation isn't to bless other people. It's something that you want. You want to get away. You want to be away. You don't want to be accountable. You don't want to somebody in your business. You want to be alone. It's about what you want. You're seeking your own desire. In other words, the scriptures are telling us something about what it means to be a human being and what it means to be made in the image of God and what it means to honor God with our life. And it means that we're not going to escape into isolation, but we're going to be connected to other people seeking to bless them. We're going to be connected in relationships seeking to bless them. So the motivation of isolation is selfishness. That's what we see in Proverbs 18.1. It's, it's selfishness, and that's generally true. I, I explained how you might be isolating yourself and it not be absolutely true, but that's generally true. That when we isolate ourselves, it's not because we're seeking to bless others, it's because we're we're seeking our own selfish ends. And then the proverb tells us the result of that. Look at it with me back in, in 18 verse 1 again. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. What is sound judgment? It's common sense. It's, it's wisdom. It's what's reasonable. Sound judgment. It's, it's, it's weighing the facts and making good decisions. That's what sound judgment is. And what happens when people isolate themselves, they're, they're driven to it by their own selfish desires, and then the result is they find themselves in the, uh, their own echo chamber of their mind. Have you ever had crazy thoughts? <laughs> Have you ever felt like a victim of your own thoughts? You know, where like, you just feel like, like, like these thoughts are like arrows in your head and you're like, why am I thinking this right now? You know, it's like, how do I get that out of my mind? Yeah, we all have crazy thoughts, right? I mean, like we all like have crazy town going on in our head from time to time. Some of us more than others, right? Some of us just periodically, but all of us have crazy thoughts that are, that are demonic and satanic and worldly and they're not true and they're not good and it's not sound judgment. And what the Bible is teaching us this morning in this simple proverb is simply when we isolate ourselves, we end up in the echo chamber of our own mind, which is filled with crazy town thoughts sometimes. And it leads us to break out and to lash out against sound judgment. We see this all over the internet, don't we? I mean, how many times have you seen somebody write something on the internet going, I can't believe they think this way. I can't believe that they would say that. But you don't have to look at the internet. It just happens like sometimes in your home. Sometimes you, you, you run into people from time to time. They lash out. Look at this psalm. Look at this proverb with me. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So what the, what the scriptures are teaching us is that when we isolate ourselves, we're only left to, to our thoughts. And it leads us to clouded thinking and poor, and poor judgment. Um, God has a great solution to isolation. The good news of the gospel is this. Even though we're rebels and sinners by nature, God looks upon us with gracious love. 
And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin so that he could restore us into a relationship with himself. This is the good news is that you don't have to work your way into a relationship with God. You receive it as a gift. Jesus went to the cross to offer us a real relationship with God. Jesus conquered our sin and he showed us by rising from the dead. So we know we can be brought into a restored relationship with God. And this relationship God describes as a, in a familial way. God becomes our father and we become children of God. And in the family of God, with God as our father and us as his child, we get brothers and sisters in Christ. So God says, look, your greatest problem is not isolation, it's sin. And I'm going to take care of your greatest problem by sending my son to pay the penalty for your sin. Hallelujah. Anybody excited about that this morning? Oh my goodness, how lost we would be without Jesus. But he took care of our sin on the cross, victorious over, over the grave, and he brings us into a right relationship with God. But that's not all. When God adopts us as his child, he adopts us into a family. And to not understand that is to not understand a basic part of your identity. That you're a part, as a Christian, you're a part of the family of God. That's a basic part of who God made us to be and, and what Jesus purchased for us on the cross is to adopt us into his family. So he deals with our sin through the cross and he adopts us into his family dealing with this isolation where we're left unto ourselves. This morning, I'm just beginning a three-week sermon series where I'm wanting to persuade you to commit to a community group. We, um, next week... We launch community group signups. And in the month of September, community groups begin meeting here at Real Life. And community groups are groups of about 12 people that meet in homes. Some of them meet here, that meet in, that meet in homes. And they discuss the scriptures in accountable environments. They pray for one another. They love one another. They come together. Now, some of you already right now, you're going, this is not my thing. This is not my thing. My goal this morning is to shepherd you and persuade you so that community groups become your thing. So that community groups become your thing. And I think that this simple proverb helps us to understand the dangers of not committing to something like a community group in our local church. <laughs> Whenever you talk about groups, like all the objections all come, right? You know, and, and, uh, and people, some people have... Not most, but some people have like some bad stories about how their group went. And, and they, they immediately will say, no, I had a bad experience. I'm not doing that again. And I think, you know what? Most people's like experience with their first kiss was a really bad experience. But that didn't stop them from trying it again and trying it again and trying it again. Do you know what I'm saying? So if you're like, no, no, I've tried that. I just want to say, try it again. It gets better. And it gets better, and it gets better. Let me, let me start by giving us three ways that community groups prevent isolation. Next week in the lobby and online, you'll be able to sign up for a community group that meets on Monday night or Sunday night or Tuesday morning, and you'll be able to come together on a weekly basis with people to love them, to support them, to be supported by them. Here's three ways that community groups prevent this isolation that we see in Proverbs 18. First is perspective. And that's exactly what Proverbs 18.1 is saying, right? 
When you isolate yourself, you're seeking your own desire, and then you break out against all sound judgment. In other words, you don't have any other perspective other than your own when you, when you isolate yourself. When you say, I am not going to put myself in an environment where I hear other people's perspectives, you end up lashing out against common sense. We need other people's perspective. It brings clarity. We need other people's perspective when we're going through conflict with a, with a teacher or with a coach or with a coworker or with a spouse. We, we need other perspectives. We need other people's perspectives when we're going through the challenge of parenting. When you hear the way someone disciplines or when you hear the burden that someone else is going through, it, it shifts things and you're not left to your own perspective every single time. This is immensely practical, isn't it? It's perspective. The second is prayer. The second is prayer. When you put yourself in a community group, you get people praying for you. Do you, I think you know this, but there are some things in your life that you will not encounter the power to be able to do effectively without people praying for you. Can I just say that again? There are things that you need to overcome in life. There are sins that you need to put to death in life. There's a peace that you need to be able to take hold of in life. There are anxieties that you need to put to death in your heart that you cannot have the power to overcome without other people praying for you. Some of you don't like that. Why? Because you're seeking your own desire in isolation. <laughs> it, it may be pride and arrogance going, I don't need that, I don't want that, I don't need that, I want to do it on my own, right? I'm seeking my own desire and I'm going to just kind of do my own thing. But the beauty of community group is you gather with people, they get to know you. What we like to say about community groups, it's where strangers become friends and friends become family. But here's what you experience. You experience the power of God. Because in those moments where you can't do it on your own, in those moments where you need something more than yourself, you've got people surrounding you and praying for you. One of the greatest things that you can do for me as your pastor is to pray for me, with me, out loud. I need you to do that. That's why I'm a, that's why I'm a part of a community group that I don't lead. It's because I, I need a group of brothers that are praying for me. So you've got perspective and you've got prayer and then you've got partnership. You've got partnership. That's just support. When you have a baby, you've got a group there that's they're committed to taking care of you and helping, bringing you meals and, you know, bringing you diapers and all the things. You've got, uh, you, you, heaven forbid, you, you have a house fire. You've got folks that are saying, hey, you're sleeping at my house tonight and we're going to help you find a place, right? And if you don't have a group that you're connecting with intimately like that, what are you going to do when that tragedy hits. You move. Locations. That community group shows up, rolls up their sleeves, pulls their back out, helping you move into another place. You've got a child that rebels, and your community group provides support to you because it feels overwhelming for you to walk that alone. Listen, isolation will lead you to a dark place, darker darker than you know. And it'll take so much from you that God wants to give to you. That's why we're doing community groups. Perspective and prayer and partnership. I mean, like, that's just a little bit, right? And so look, if you want to isolate yourself, you're going to get the perspective of a volleyball. Just you and Wilson, right? Is this the kind of perspective you want? 
Listen to him pray. You hear him pray? You, you hear the volleyball pray? He, ne- he needs a community group, doesn't he? Huh? He's lashing out against all sound judgment, right? Right? Wilson going to help you move when you guys move next year? Probably not. Pro- pro- probably not. We're, we're dealing in principles. So, so I'm not speaking an absolute truth. I'm speaking an absolutely true principle. And if you choose not to join a community group, here's what you got. How long is this going to be good enough for you? I mean, I know Wilson doesn't like (laughs) tell you stuff you don't like to hear. Right? I know Wilson doesn't like speak that truth that hurts like a community group might the proverbs also tell us that the wounds of a friend can be trusted so when you're in a community group where you begin to build spiritual friendship with other people and someone may offer a different perspective that wounds you because it's different or it confronts or it challenges your thoughts it might hurt but you can trust it. That's what the scripture tells us. You can trust it. Why? Because they love you. They're, they're family. They're not out to get you. They're there to support you. That's what a community group's all about. So, Wilson ain't enough. Um, let me just give three biblical insights um, to, to three common, biblical insights to three common objections. And if you're a student here, Um, What I want you to know is that our student ministry every Sunday night breaks into a community group. And they they go into community group and they share burdens and they share prayer requests and they share different perspectives and they share support. Every Sunday night at 4.30, student ministry are are breaking into community groups. Here's here's three common objections to community groups and then just some biblical insight in response. The first is I don't need a community group. I don't need a community group. But 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nor the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. In other words, in 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul gives us a picture of what the church is. And he says the church is like a body, a human body. And in the church, some people are hands, and some people are ears, and some people are feet, and some people are eyes, and some people are, you know, fill in the blank. And he he says, as he's helping Christians understand their identity and the nature of who they are, he says, you can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. So when you say something like, I don't need a community group, You're only displaying your own ignorance as to what you are. In other words, God has made us dependent beings. When he's adopted us into the family, he's put us in a family where we can't function the way he designed us to function unless we're functioning together as a family. And so he uses these images and then, he just, and then he just says, the, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. I don't need you. It's like if the hand is going to reach into the fridge to get something out, 
the foot's got to get him there. Right? We need one another. So another, another uh, object, objective is, is I get my community elsewhere. This is really common. People are like, you know what, I'm good. I've, I've got a group of people over here, or my best buds are over here, or, you know, I'm a part of this, and, and this is where I get my community. And that's good, but what you have to understand is that your community is not all about you. In other words, God has a bigger purpose and plan in your community. And we see this in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Paul writes, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the where? In the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. One of the biggest mistakes, listen, one of the biggest mistakes that passionate Christians make. So if you, so if you, wouldn't, if you wouldn't categorize yourself this morning as a passionate Christian, then this, this, doesn't, this doesn't apply to you. But one of the biggest, one of the, one of the biggest one of the biggest errors and mistakes that passionate Christians make is thinking that all they need to do is to be really excited about Jesus. But there's an investment that God intends for Christians to make in the local church. He calls the church the bride of Christ. And so community is not all about you just preventing isolation and having a group of people over here that's supporting you and praying for you that has nothing to do with you building a local family that's in a covenant relationship together. But rather, God intends for you to prevent isolation, commit to community in a way that builds a family, in a way that builds and establishes a local church. In other words, Paul did not randomly nor arbitrarily put this phrase in the church in the book of Ephesians. He says, look, I want to do amazing things in your life. I'm going to do amazing things through the power that works in you, the Holy Spirit who came to live inside of you when you were adopted as a child of God. I want to do mind-blowing things that you can't even imagine. I want to do awesome things in you to the glory of God in the church. That's the context of where God wants to do it. So is it bad to have community outside the church? Of course not. No, that's, that's part of the beauty of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is not all of it. You have the kingdom of God and you have the local church. And you see the local church emphasized in the New Testament over and over and over again. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, look, when you have conflict between you and your brother, if you can't sort it out one-on-one or two-on-one, you bring it to the church. In the local church, the local family is the one that's, that's intended to help you sort that, sort that out. In, in other words, church is not like a Christian event put on for you to come and consume and just be excited about Jesus. A local church is a family that you commit to in a similar way that you would commit to an earthly family and you get privileges and benefits and pain in being a part of a local family. And it's beautiful because it's the bride of Christ that Jesus is coming back for. I'm gonna close with just a couple of challenges in just a moment, but a third objection is we're just way too busy. We're just way too busy. Billy Graham once said, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Psalm 46.10 says, be still. In your busy schedule, be still. 
In your overcommitted calendar, be still. In all of your perceived obligations, be still. Quit running around, quit saying yes, quit overcommitting yourself and be still in the presence of the people of God in community and get to know God in a deeper way because you're willing to be still. If you don't tell your time where it goes, it will tell you where it goes. It's like your money, right? If you don't budget your money, it's gonna budget you. It's gonna tell you where it goes. If you don't budget your time, people are gonna demand it of you. People are gonna take it of you. All the pressures of society today are gonna leak a little bit here and they're gonna grab a little bit here. And before you know it, you're not gonna have time for the most important things. But, but that can change. Next Sunday, that can change for you and for your family and for your sanity and for your peace of mind, and for your spiritual health, that can change by putting yourself in community. Listen, um, community is not like a silver bullet to make life all hunky-dory and roses. Like, community is like an intensive care support system because life is not hunky-dory full of roses. Life is tragic and heartbreaking and sometimes like unspeakably difficult. And if you're not in community where you don't have to explain everything that you're going through, but people can just see it on your face because they know you, they know you, you just walk in the room and they see it all over your face and they know you and they put their arm around you and they start praying for you because they know you. That's what community groups are about. Um, One of, one of the other things that we make a mistake on is we think, I, I, don't need, I don't need a community group. I get my community elsewhere. I'm just way too busy. Okay, I get it. I get it. But what about the people in our church that need you? L listen, you may be filled with so much arrogance this morning that you just don't think you need it. You get your community elsewhere. Like, you... You're, you're part of this Facebook group, and there's all kinds of perspectives, so you're not in the echo chamber of your own mind because you're getting fresh perspectives all the time, and, you know, you watch, you listen to this radio talk show, and so you're getting all kinds of other perspectives, like, you know, like, you're on a prayer group from your former church or where you used to go, like, all, like I don't, I don't need, I, I'm, I'm okay, I'm taken care of, everything you talked about this morning, I'm good, yeah, but somebody down the aisle's not, and they need you, they need you to to give your time and they need you to give your heart and they need you to give your heart, your life in community. They need somebody showing up saying, I'm, I'm going to show up and pray for them. I'm going to show up and support them. I'm going to show up and share my perspective so that they're not left to their, their own perspective. Do you see it? You see it, church? As I close and as the worship team comes out just to help us respond this morning, just again, next week, community groups, signups will start. You can go online. You can sign up for a community group. And for two more weeks, I'm just going to open up the sacred scriptures and seek to persuade every single one of us to be a part of a community group. That's my prayer. God, would you move on every heart to, to be a part of a community group? And, here, and here's why. It's because I love you. And I, and I know you won't flourish the way God wants you to flourish if you're disconnected from community. The, the vision of our church is to be a flourishing people in a multiplying movement. As your pastor, 
I want to see you flourish. And it won't happen in isolation. So I'm just going to give two more weeks, open up the sacred scriptures and try to persuade you to take that step. Maybe your first French kiss was terrible. I get it. I get it. I get it. But has it gotten any better? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Just, just one final challenge to men. Men, can I speak to your hearts just for a moment? Some, some of you are going to have a conversation on, on the way home. You're going to get in the car and you're going to have a conversation with your spouses. Some of you, the conversation is going to start like when you go out that door. And she's going to speak to you just by looking at you. She's not going to have to say a word. She's going to look. And you're going to know exactly what she wants. She's going to want leadership. She may not even know how to articulate it, but she wants leadership. She doesn't want passivity. She doesn't want arrogant isolation. She wants strong, humble love. She, she wants a man that says, I need other people in my life and I'm strong enough to admit it. And she wants a man that has confidence that he's got something to offer other people to build this church. So the way this conversation needs to go is husbands, you need to look at your wives sometime this week, sometime today, and saying, we have to make room to be a part of a community group because I have a perspective that other people in this church need. And our family has a strength that we need to support other families. And I know how to pray, and I need to pray for other people in a community group. And I need others too. And I need others too. Listen, men, God has called us to build things. God's called us to build things. He put Adam in the garden and he said, keep it up, make it beautiful, tend to it, plant it, harvest it. God has called us men to be contributors, to leave things better, to make our mark, to take dominion, to display strength to our families and to our church and to our world. That's what God has called us to do, men. So if your family doesn't take a step into a community group, men, don't let it be because you're unwilling. And if she's not willing or yet ready, you start showing up without her. And just watch how God honors it. Just watch what God does. It's going to be beautiful. I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. We can't do it alone. Jesus is building his church here. It's a beautiful thing. We are the bride of Christ, but it takes Holy Spirit grit, and it takes commitment in a culture that's marked with consumerism. So let's go against the grain of the culture, and let's commit. Let's build something beautiful here. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for adopting us into your family through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to see our need this morning and help us to step out in courage this morning. God, I pray that you would embolden every man in the room to be a spiritual leader in their home. Father, I pray for each one of us, wherever we are on our spiritual journey, that you would meet us where we are and help us to take a step. 
Lord, we know Wilson is not enough. So free us from that folly today and we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing out. Sing your praises loud to the Lord. Don't hold back. Worship Him with all you got. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.